Welcome to the Letterbox. This is our 412 podcast, and this week it looked a little bit different. Yeah, so this week, instead of recording a podcast after youth, we decided to record a conversation that uh, Josh, Lucy, and me had uh, during youth instead of a preach. Um, so we hope that the panel discussion is helpful to anybody listening. If you were here um, on the Friday night, then thanks for listening again. It's really kind. <laughs> so, so sweet of you. Um, and if you weren't here, then hopefully that something that we say is helpful to you. Um, this week we talk about the idea that deep end disciples pursue godly relationships as part of our ser- series in 412, Deep End Disciples. Um, and some examples from the Bible of how if you want to be a deep end disciple of Jesus, there's some stuff that we have to do that might look a little bit different, but it's worth it. So we hope you enjoy. Okay, so we're going to talk about this idea that deep end disciples pursue godly relationships. And from the start, if you take notes, I want to tell you the three things that we're going to discuss so you know right away. And we're going to break it up into these sections to make it a little bit easier. So the three things when it comes to pursuing godly relationships, deep end disciples choose good company, make God a main topic, and pray like they care. And some of these things we want to talk about are from some questions that people have submitted into our little letterbox over the last couple of weeks that we want to touch on each of these things. So let's start off by having a little conversation around how if we want to pursue godly relationships, deep end disciples choose good company. And I'm going to start us off. um, Davey wrote a a really cool blurb for this week, and it it had this um, these two stories in the Bible that I just want to start us off with. Um, And it's the stories of Isaac and Solomon and the kind of godly relationships that they chose or didn't choose. So the first story, it's not going to come up here, but if you have a Bible, feel free to flick to it, is in Genesis 24. And just to sum it up, you can go away and read it all for yourself. But to sum it up, it's the story of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Abraham's like the father of the Jewish people. And Abraham is the one who God gave like a covenant, like a promise to, and said, like, if you follow me and you follow like the rules that I set in place and you live in relationship with me, like I will bless you. Um, and I will like give you descendants and make you my chosen people. Um, so they were this, like Abraham and his descendants were these holy people set apart by God because of their choices. And a really important part of this was the kind of company they kept and the people that they married. Um, it was so key to God that they would marry other people who loved God and were part of his like chosen people. So God asked Abraham to make sure that his son Isaac marries someone who also loves God. And uh, it's coming quite near the end of Abraham's life, and Isaac is, is a man, and he asks his, um, like his servant to go out and, with God's help, find a wife for his son Isaac. And with God's help, he finds this wonderful woman, and Isaac marries her and honors God with the relationship he chooses. And it's not to say that Isaac's life was perfect. But you can see through his story that the relationship that he chooses to pursue, this deep relationship that he chooses, makes a difference. And then in contrast, we read a story of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. And again, I'll just kind of flick through them, but uh, if you want to turn to it or you want to go away and read it. Um, King Solomon loved lots of women who didn't follow God. And verse 2, it says, From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And then it says in verse 4, For when Solomon was old, 
His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, goddess of the Sidonians, and Malcolm, the abomination of the Amorites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow God, as David his father had done. And he built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of Amorites. These are just like gods and idols of these other tribes who weren't the Israelites' worship. And he did so for all of his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their God. And it's just this idea that Isaac marries Rebekah from God's people who loves God. Solomon marries lots of women not from God's people who don't love God. And one led to a partner who helps Isaac make good choices about being a deep end disciple. And the other actually leads a man who was godly and was following God. It leads him astray. Because of the company he kept, it takes him away from God's will. And both had a choice in who they chose to be in deep relationship with. But one decides to make a choice as a deep end disciple and the other a shallow one. And if we want to pursue godly relationships, we need to choose good company. Not just in who we marry, which we will talk about, but in all of our relationships. Um, Even in just like your friendships and then into dating. Who you choose to have deep, meaningful relationships with actually does matter. And we're also not saying that you can't have friends who don't know Jesus. Absolutely not. But the people that you choose to bring into your closest circle have an influence and an impact on your life. So, Lucy and Josh, why does it matter who we choose to be in relationship with? Yeah, I think when it comes to choosing who that, like, small group of friends is, um, like, we need to come to grips with the fact that, like, we are all becoming something and we're all becoming someone um, and who we are is like deeply represented in who we actually spend a lot of our time with. So um, if I were to say like you um, are becoming the average of your five closest friends, would you be comfortable with that? Would you like to become more like the people you spend a lot of your time with? Because again, what Kyle said, your friends have so much influence on your character. So it's of utmost importance that you choose the right people to spend that time with and choose them wisely. Who you spend a lot of your time with, who you share personal information with, who you, let, who you let help make decisions for you, who you seek wisdom and advice from. It's so crucial that you're getting it from the right people. Um, and there are so many warnings in scripture about this, about how important your environment is and the effects it has on your life. And I'm just going to throw like a lot of verses at you because like the Bible puts it better than I could. But um, Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a comparison of fools suffers harm. Very simply, if you want to become wise, walk with wise people. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not, be, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You might think that you have good character, and that is probably true. Um, you might be a person that think you'll never be influenced or dragged away with, from the peer pressure. Um, but Paul knew that people who have good character beca- can become very, very naive. And, um, and like he says, do not be misled. So in other words, you're probably not as strong as you think you are. You might have a great character, and that is brilliant, but it, it, even the most healthy, influential people can be badly influenced. I believe godly friends encourage you to love God more. Godly friends don't enable you to make bad choices. Godly friends celebrate you when you succeed. Godly friends listen to you and help you carry your burdens when life gets really tough. Godly friends have worthwhile conversations, whether through Bible study or asking simple questions about your relationship with God. Godly friends sharpen you. They help you to make mature and overcome bad habits. Godly friends counsel you biblically. They give you advice based on what's in the Bible. Godly friends allow space for vulnerability and authenticity. They accept you. However, they inspire you to, and encourage you to grow and continue to run after God. And I'm not saying that like these things, you have to look at your friends and think, well, she doesn't do that and he doesn't do that. I'm not saying that. But actually, like these are things that we need to ask ourselves first 
um, if we're doing these things. If we want to be godly people and have godly friendships, then we need to start with ourselves before we start pointing the finger at other people. Um, so what does this mean for you then? Like, again, like maybe you just need to start spending more time with people who are actually good for you. Again, it's quite cutthroat. It's a bit simple, but it's true. Um, but um, maybe you need to start seeking advice from people who are actually getting it from the Bible, not just getting it from social media or getting things from like me encouragement, things they see on a Monday morning. Things like that aren't that helpful. Maybe you and your friend group need to make intentional time together and spend time not gossiping and spend time reading the Bible together and have genuine conversations with them. And again, these are some of the things that we need to ask ourselves to do first before we start pointing finger. We need to make sure that we are godly friends first before we start looking around um, for, for some ourselves. Because the scriptures are so clear that your environment is directly aligned with your own growth. Um, like Think of like a seed, for example. Like if you put like a seed in soil, like it has to have like the right surroundings and the right environment for it to grow into something healthy. Um, and this is absolutely true about you and your friends too. We need healthy community. And I don't just mean church in Fort Wells. This is brilliant, yes. But actually who you spend time with outside of here really, really matters. And I think that one standout thing to look for is spend a lot of time with people who spend a lot of time with Jesus. And I think that these people, um, like these are the people that you need in your life to thrive as like a young follower of Jesus. Um, yeah. yeah, that's so good. And you, Josh gave us so much useful stuff. And the benefit of this week is if you missed any of it, you can just listen to it back on the podcast. Yay. Lucy, keeps giving. what do you have for us? Um, I think so much of that is helpful. Josh, remembering 412 as a leadership team a couple of years ago, we prayed a lot around that idea of healthy things grow. So if you're putting healthy habits in place in your friendship group, the seed or the results of that seed is going to be that healthy things you will grow. Um, we said that we're going to talk tonight about friendships and also about romantic relationships. And 412, it wouldn't be fair of us to sit here tonight and not give you the full truth of what the Bible says. And the Bible's really clear when it comes to romantic relationships that if you are a Christian, if you are following Christ, that if you choose to date someone who is not a Christian, then you're not following God's instruction for your life. There's lots of things in the Bible that's maybe a little bit grey, but this is something that God makes really clear. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And that's not language that we use at all. Does anyone know what a yoke is? No, not an egg. <laughs> we have a photo coming up on the screen. It feels a bit like Sunday school, but hopefully it's helpful. A yoke was something that in the days in Corinth, when Paul would have been writing this letter to the church, it was quite common. So the principle that Paul is trying to teach here would have been really obvious. A yoke is a bit of wood and it's got two metal loops on it. And that is where an animal, you'd have two animals, would put their heads through it and they would be hitched together. And the idea is that they're hitched together to pull a wagon, to pull a cart. And it all works off the principle that the two animals have to be going the same direction, at the same speed, at the same time. Same direction, same speed, same time. That means if one animal chooses to go left and another one chooses to go right, it's not going to work. If one keeps going and one stops, it's not going to work. Same direction, same speed, same time. And then so whenever you are looking for someone to be yoked together, to date, to be in a relationship, to look towards the future, God is telling us just as much today as he was back then that it is really important that you're with someone who is going the same direction at the same speed at the same time. Someone who is pursuing Christ with the same level devotion as you. Because the reality of a relationship played out is that they're either going to be helping you carry the load, just like with a yoke, helping you carry the load, or actively dragging you away. And we said earlier we're being a little bit straight, but the, the Bible's a little bit straight with some of this too. 
if you have to ask yourself the question, are they, are they helping me carry the load? Are they dragging me back? I want to challenge you that if you have to ask the question, then it's probably the latter one. And we want to be clear, 412, you're not looking for someone who goes to church occasionally. You're not looking for someone who calls themselves a Christian in name, and yet you don't really see any of the fruit of it in their lives. You are looking for someone who is passionately pursuing Christ, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who takes God at his word, who is led and guided and directed by God in their life. And that means, just like Josh said, if we're going to choose good company, we need to be good company ourselves. If you're not passionately pursuing Christ right now, then let me urge you to focus on that right now. This relationship stuff is helpful. You can park it and come back to it. But focus on that. How can you be good company? And we don't have time to get into the all the ins and outs of it. But on a podcast that we did previously, uh, we talked around green flags for dating. And we talked around looking at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Do you see that in your own life? Before you start to look for it in someone else's, do you see it in your own life? Because the fruit of what's going on around you will show you what the root is. The fruit will show you what the root, what's going on outside shows the state of the inside. So make sure that first of all, you are good company and then choose to be good company. That's so good. Um, like the environment that you're in and the people that you're, you're around are what shape you the most in life. And what Joss said, like, do you want to look like the five people you're closest to? Do you want to look like the person you're dating? Because if you want to follow God, you want to date someone who's following God, and you want to then look more like that. And from experience, I can tell you that the more time you spend around friends and the more time you spend around someone you're dating, the more you start to look like them. You pick up their mannerisms. You do what they do. So make sure that you're doing the things that you want to do when you're copying that. Guys, thank you so much for that. The next thing that we want to talk about is if we want to pursue godly relationships, deep-end disciples make God a main topic. And some of this comes off a couple of people who submitted a question to us around this idea of like, how do I bring up God with like my Christian friends? So like evangelism is really important, like talking to your non-Christian friends about God, like super important. But this question is like, in my friendship groups that should be Christian, like how, like, how do I talk about God more? Um, and for me, like the first thing I want to say is, um, if we want to do this, if we want to be deep end disciples, um, we just have to make talking about God normal. In fact, we kind of just need to make it central. So the one thing that you for sure should have in common with like a group of Christian friends, no matter what all your hobbies are, is you're all Christian. Like you're all trying to follow Jesus. And for some of us, like the things that we love or the things that we're like really, really into, we actually just can't stop talking about to the, fa- to the point where, like, some of our friends, the people around us are like, would you ever shut up about that? Like, I am not interested in that, and I don't care. But when you love something, you just can't help talking about it. And that made me think about this um, verse in Luke 6, verse 45. And it said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks And the more we think on something, the more we'll speak on something. And the more we love something, the more we'll want to talk about it as it spills out of our heart. So my question to you guys is, if you really love God, then you just need to make talking about him normal. I'm also not saying that that's easy. Like, please understand, like, when it isn't normal, it feels like a big deal to bring it up. 
but we have to break that stigma. We have to make it normal. Because I think for a lot of you guys, from looking at like how many of you submitted a similar question or conversations we have, you want to talk about God with your friends. So you just need to make it normal. Um, something that like has, has really challenged me recently is this idea that like stuff shared from the stage is really, really helpful. Like preaching and hearing like somebody teach the word of God is super helpful. But a lot of the time in my discipleship journey, in me going from shallow to deep, it's being influenced most by what I hear in conversations face to face, not from stage to seat. And I think when you think about that, like if we want to be people who are deep end disciples, and we also want to be people who are helping our friends become deep end disciples, then we have to talk to each other about God. And these have literally changed my life and my perspective. So it might not be easy. Like, this is not me saying, like, guys, just do it. It's so easy. This is me saying, guys, just do it. It's so, so worth it. I think, like, if we want to be people who, like, talk about God more with our Christian friends, I think um, we need to try and make encouraging each other more, like, a big staple, whether that's with the words that we say or just even, like, the way that we live our lives. Um, It needs to be encouraging to our own Christian friends. Um, And I think on the aspect of words, like words are so powerful and it's important that we don't waste them and it's important that we use them to build people up and to encourage them. And again, I'm going to throw out like a lot of verses to you because I think they're really helpful. But it says in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Words can either hurt or they can heal and they can build or they can destroy. In James 3, it talks about um, like the tongue we use to praise God with. Like we come in here on a Friday and we praise God with it, but on a Saturday night we're with a group of friends and we're gossiping. It doesn't make sense. And then it talks about, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? A human, well, that's Jesus' words, not mine. Um, and in my words, a human is known by the words that come out of their mouth. Followers of Jesus should be known as people who speak life and not tear down. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Again, this passage is so exclusive. It says, but only what is helpful for building others up. So how can we be people who are committed to encouraging our friends um, to love God more? In Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about um, how we, it says, let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Godly friends encourage you and push you towards loving Jesus and loving his people better. They also steer you away from bad influences um, and they push you towards the good deeds that Christ has set before you. And, and godly friends, they spend worthwhile time together, not in gossip, but they use their time and use their words to, bur- to build people up as well. They inspire you to run fast and hard after God. They challenge you in your faith and your thinking. They're devoted to you. They honor you. They put you above themselves. These are the types of people that you want in your life um, as Christians because these are uh, amazing attributes that Jesus had in his life. Romans twelve ten says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So how can we like actually just encourage our friends more, um, encourage our friends more, and also like bring up God more in our conversations? Again, it's what Kyle said, it's just one of those things that we have to just try and cultivate it um, into our friend groups. Like it's not something that it just happens to be there. It's going to require a lot, or actually just a bit of intentionality um, and a bit of boldness. Like sometimes we just have to go against the norm and against the grain of what our friends are doing. Um, and yes, it probably will feel very awkward at the start. Um, but like we live in a culture where building others up is not the norm, which is so sad. Um, and as followers of Jesus, um, we are to set the example in our speech. 
also in our faith and how we live and our purity and the way that we love people. But like, just like a practical way, like why don't you commit to like even just messaging one of your closest friends and inspire, like telling them how they inspire you in, how, in your faith. Tell them that you're praying for them. We don't need to overcomplicate and like over-spiritualize this stuff. It is just one of those things where we just have to give it a go and it will always be like, we'll always stumble in the right direction. If, we're, if our goal is like trying to honor someone, I'm sure we can't get it that wrong. Like we're not gonna turn them down if we have the goal in mind to honor them. Um, but again, like we just have to take a bit of intentionality with it. More godly friendships never happen on their own. It never happens by surprise. Intimacy in friendships and relationships always requires intentionality. And godly friendships always require intentionality. Um, yeah, so again, the Bible is so clear about how we should live with our Christian friends and how encouragement is meant to be a staple within our friendships. Um, and that will encourage them. But also, like, there is always a reward whenever we give, like, whenever we give it to other people, yeah. which is so cool. Like, it makes it a lot easier. Actually, we feel very good about ourselves whenever we encourage someone else, um, which is like, it makes it so much easier then, or we notice the fruit of it, or we notice the result of it very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it's like encourage your friends, build them up, um, spend genuine time with them, not just like this weird small talk or sitting on your phones. Like actually spend some worthwhile time together, honor your friends, give them your time, um, and doing these things will ultimately like encourage to build a cult- like, cultivate a culture within your friendship groups of, of like loving Jesus better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. That's so good. I love that stumbling in the right direction. <laughs> Isn't that what we're doing really all of our lives? Yes. Yeah. Discipleship. Uh, something that you fellas and that we talked about this month in the 18 to 21 life group, um, trying to make God a central topic in our conversations, is this idea of making accountability acceptable. Making accountability acceptable. So challenging one another in love. None of us in this room are naive enough to think that we have made it. We are as Christ-like as we're ever going to be. I never sin. I never struggle. I'm God's gift 2.0 to the earth. None of us think that. We all know that we get it wrong. We sin. We struggle. We get it wrong again. And in Romans 7, Paul says this, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. And this is one of the reasons why God created us to be in community. We know we've got a long way to go. But if we choose, intentionally choose, to make talking about God the norm in our friendship groups, then we can allow friendships, romantic relationships, help us become more like Christ as we stumble our way through or stumble our way forward. Because we all have blind spots in our life. I don't know if any of you guys, this is maybe too far back, we did a series in 412 on blind spots. Can you picture it? I can picture the graphic. Um, And if you're learning to drive or you've learned to drive, you'll know that when you're in the driver's seat and you're looking around, there's a blind spot. It's an area where you can't see if a car's coming out or someone's walking by. And it's really quite dangerous if you miss it, if you miss something important. Take it from someone who's had multiple car crashes. (laughs) They are important. But the thing is that in our lives, we have the same idea. There's blind spots in our lives of things that we can't see that's going to be dangerous to us. And so God, in his grace, allows us, created us to be in community because sometimes these things are easier or quicker for other people to spot in us than we can see ourselves. Maybe that's seeds of jealousy, of laziness, of gossip, of apathy, just not really caring. And thank God that he created us to be in community where other people can help us see these things in ourselves, make us more like Christ when we choose to make talking about God the norm. And what's important here, 412, is that we learn that it's important to be honest without being hurtful. 
because we always have a responsibility to be kind in how we say something. Ephesians talks about speaking the truth in love. Colossians says how our words should be full of grace and seasoned with salt. So what this isn't is a Bible to say whatever irks you or whatever annoys you about someone and dress it up as accountability. That is not kind and it is not biblical. So something that is helpful to make sure that our motives are pure is to ask ourselves, are we saying it to hurt them or to help them in the long run become the person that God wants them to be? Are we saying it to hurt them or help them in the long run? So that might mean in the short term, it's not really what they want to hear, but in the long run, it helps them become the person God wants them to be. And even better, know what God's word says on it. The Bible tells us that God's word is like a double-edged sword. So we actually, you, you don't need to add your opinion. A double-edged sword is sharp enough. What does God's word say on it? Josh made uh, the point around gossiping and that verse in Ephesians 4, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building one another up. And so if you know that that's what God's word says, and you notice in your friendship group, every time we get together, all we really tend to do is talk about people, then be the one to say, do you know what, guys? This actually isn't helpful for any of us. This doesn't make any of us more Christ-like. And can I say, as someone whose friend has done that in our friendship group a couple of years ago, Daniel, it made such a transformative change. No one was offended. No one was taken back. Nobody actually would probably remember it now if I brought it up but we're all more like Christ because of it. Are you saying something to hurt them or to help them in the long run be the person that God wants them to be? And in our life group, we said how a simple way, not necessarily easy, but a simple way to do this in your friendship group is to regularly ask, what is one thing that you see in my life that doesn't reflect Christ? And that, that takes humility to ask that. What is one thing in my life that you see that doesn't reflect Christ? Or what's one thing in my life that you think I could become more Christ-like in. And this will take time, 412, but it can become the norm if you resolve to make talking about God the norm and make accountability acceptable. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I want to talk about this a little bit more because this is something that we've been challenged on recently and something that I feel like God is speaking to me. Um, this idea that like, as Lucy said, it's not accountability in the sense that you just call out everything in your friends, but it has to be like in relationship with someone, and it, it has to be like a two-way thing as well, right? You're not always the person that's calling out somebody and someone else, but you also want to be accountable to them for your blind spots. Um, and I, I saw this thing that, that was like Christians should be honest with all and accountable with a few. So it's the idea that like yeah, as Christians, we're honest, but I'm not going to tell everybody in this room everything that I do wrong, but I hope that there's some people in this room that I can do that with and will actually hold me accountable. Um, for me, like, I, I imagine it's the same for you, I know that I would mess up and sin a lot less if I had to tell somebody every time I did it, um, but almost like the secrecy of it means that sometimes it's easy to just keep doing the same pattern. And, and the idea of this feels really, really foreign, like the idea that you would like, tell somebody that you like messed up and did something wrong and like sinned but it's actually not like it's purely biblical james five sixteen says therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working and in a couple of podcasts that i've listened to over the last couple of weeks um two pastors shared about how they do this so john mark comer talks about um how he meets a trusted friend so somebody's been doing this with for years, not like some random person, but like a close 
deep friendship. He meets them every two weeks and they talk about their struggles, their pitfalls, and their burdens. They confess their sins. They allow the other person to challenge them on it. And then they give biblical advice and they pray for it. So it's also not just like, here's all my problems, but it's like, here's some stuff I'm struggling with. Let's pray together. And then Jonathan Pecluda, um, who uh, released a podcast that we, we listened to called Becoming Something, says that with his closest friends, so what he calls a small group, but it's not even like a church-led one. It's like guys he's been hanging out with for years. They meet regularly and they ask each other, since we last met, what have you fed your soul? What have you fed others? And what have you fed your flesh? Um, and I want to put it in these words, and we're actually going to talk about this later. Um, what am I doing to look more like Jesus? What am I doing to help others look more like Jesus? And what has been stopping me lately from looking more like Jesus? And, and these two men, then, they're accountable to each other or to their friends, and they pray with each other. And that brings us on to the last thing that we want to talk about for a little bit. If we want to pursue godly relationships, deep-end disciples, pray like you care. And this comes from a couple of questions that people submitted around this idea, like, with my, like, Christian friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, how do we pray? How do we pray together? Um, and I just want to start us off by um, reading a verse from Acts 2, verse 42, and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And it's just this idea that the new church, the church that Jesus sets up, the church that is rapidly growing through uh, like the Middle East um, just after Jesus' death is devoted to prayer. It's one of the core things that sets them apart. And for me, like just speaking about God and bringing him up in your friendship groups, we understand that praying with your friends, praying with your boyfriend or girlfriend, praying with your spouse even, mightn't be normal, but it could actually completely change your life. It could reshape your friendships and relationships and bring you from shallow discipleship to deep-end discipleship when you're trying to pursue godly relationships. It was suggested to me and Lily lots of times when we were dating and when we were going through marriage classes that we should pray together. It was not something we did regularly, and it felt weird. But until you do it, it will always, always feel weird. Why are we talking to God ever be awkward, especially with the people that I want to be closest to and most vulnerable with. And if it is, maybe we just need to change something. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this? I have a couple of other points, but just if you want to jump in before I close this off. I think one really simple way that I have noticed, and Ross was the instigator of this, not me, is like we always say grace before we eat a meal. And it sounds really simple. It sounds really childlike, but you know, childlike faith. And it, it's really simple way throughout your day then to come back to that place of prayer, thanking God, taking a moment, whether you've been in a busy day, to think about him or not, with friends or with a significant other. Um, and something as well that I think is a really helpful habit to get into and you can chat about a bit more is praying there and then. Let's not be people who say, oh, I'll pray for that. And then life takes over and the busyness takes over and we forget about it. Let's say what we mean and mean what we say. And so if you can there in that moment, and it'll take courage and it'll take boldness, just pray with them there. If you're at McDonald's, if you're hanging out at someone's house, maybe you're not with them in person, can you lift the phone? Can you send a voice note? Because that, there's power that comes yeah. from praying with people and absolutely commit to praying. Make a prayer list. There's loads of apps in our room, 24-7 prayer have. Uh, make a WhatsApp group and follow up on your prayers. Um, and something just that I felt today when I was 
praying ahead of tonight, I felt like God said that there's times where you can be the answer to what some people are praying around you. So if a friend says, I'm actually, I'm really struggling and feel like I don't have any close friends, well, you can be the answer to that prayer and you can be a friend. Or if someone's struggling with money, but you have a part-time job and you actually can be the answer to what they're praying for. Sometimes God in his kindness and in his grace and his tenderness gives you the opportunity, gives you the gift to be the answer to the prayer. Don't miss that. Yeah, that's so good. On that, I just want to reiterate, don't offer token prayers. Pray right away, whenever something happens or whenever it comes to mind. And when you read Paul's letters like to the church throughout the New Testament, he says this over and over and over again. Things like, I pray for you often. I thank God for you always. I pray for you whenever I think about you or whenever you come to mind. He covers the people he cares about in prayer. Um, and he makes an intentional choice to pray to God on their behalf whenever they come to his mind. So don't be the people that say, oh, I'll be praying for you, but like we probably won't. Like Be intentional with this. Um, and then as Lucy says, like it is really good to pray in private. Like We're not taking away the power of you going and like praying on somebody's behalf or doing like intercessory prayer. That is amazing. And it's good to bring your closest friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend before God in prayer. But what should happen is the more time that you spend praying for something in private, the more that spills out into you praying for something publicly. The more time that you spend praying into your relationships behind closed doors, the easier it becomes to pray with those people in the moment. Um, and, and just imagine the change that could happen in our relationships if we started to pray passionately and then that spilled into literally praying passionately with one another. Mm -hmm. So let us challenge you on that. Yeah, I think sometimes you guys and you think that we ask you to pray on a mic just to scare you or, <laughs> I don't know, embarrass you. But it's because we want to be people yeah. who will be quick to pray with others in yeah. public or yeah. like with them. Um, and just lastly, something I think I always used to think, oh, I can't do anything. I'll just pray. When actually I've come to realize that praying is one of the most important and one of the most significant things you can do for the people you love yeah. because you're calling on a God who has a well far deeper full of resources than what you can offer in your own strength so when you offer to stand with someone and pray with them and commit to continuing to pray you're opening yourself and inviting a God who has far more resources than you have available into the situation and that's far more than just praying yeah amazing welcome to the outro of the letterbox Thank you so much for listening to our conversation from um, Friday the 2nd of February. Um, we uh, ended our program um, on, on that Friday night by getting the young people to get into groups and put some of this stuff in practice. So um, they answered these questions that we discussed on the podcast. What am I doing to look more like Jesus? What am I doing to help others look more like Jesus? And what has been stopping me lately from looking more like Jesus? Um, we want to challenge anybody listening, whether you were in the room or this is the first time you're hearing it, um, to continue to put those things in practice. Get yourself um, a group of people who you really trust and you can be authentic and vulnerable with, people who love Jesus and want to help you love Jesus, and make talking about God and praying together a habit where you uh, challenge each other um, um, on these questions. What am I doing to look more like Jesus? What am I doing to help others look more like Jesus? And what has been stopping me lately from looking more like Jesus? And we hope by applying this into your lives that um, we get the sort of biblical accountability um, that will help us really follow Jesus with more and to go deeper in our relationship with him. And we pray that you could be deep end disciples by putting some of this into practice. Thank you so, so much for listening. Bye.